Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. We have a great thing going. We, we, this weekend is something we've done for almost 20 years. It's a Harvest of Blessing weekend. What we do is we take throughout the years special projects, uh, things that need a little extra resource given to it. This year, if you've read the letter I sent or went online and heard the family meeting, you know it's the Joseph Principle Continued. What we're wanting to do is over the last three or four years, we have just like a lot of other people, we've gotten behind the eight ball, and we want to get out from behind that and get a balanced budget. If you know the numbers, which you'll see on the card, it really is reachable. It's something that isn't over our heads. It's just going to take some effort uh, by all of us, and uh, I think that's going to be a a good thing. So you'll hear about a little more at the end of the service. I I want you to know that we've led up to this time, I think, for for a lot of good things, good reasons we've We've been able to lead to this time and moving on into a new season, especially going into the holidays and then a new year. Um, but the last three weekends, I've really, really particularly enjoyed. I've enjoyed the message on your churches where covenants are made. Pastor Al did a great job. You heard my passion for making disciples, and that's really something that, that I enjoy doing and want to be part of. And then last weekend, our next gen service, if you were here, you heard Pastor Christina Davis. Uh, she shared the word about your churches where opportunities are made. She did a masterful job, wonderful job. You're getting a good look and insight of what's happening in the creating and developing and training of disciples. And listen, you need to know, if you don't know this by now, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. This is what I love to do. And I'm just saying it to you. I don't want to keep it a secret. I want you to know that this is what I love to do. This is, this is what I, I enjoy doing. So much so that we do look for opportunities to see people come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. What's great about Bob is he received the Lord before his 92nd birthday. There's another story to be told that took place last weekend. A 13-year-old girl came to church with family and friends, and she was sitting there listening to Christina. And Christina invited people to receive Christ, if you remember. And she stepped up right where she was, and she went over to one of the prayer teams. Just so happened that the prayer team was Jordan Knudsen and Sierra Paul. And they began to pray. About this. They're all, all about the same age. They began to pray with each other. And those girls, those two girls, led this young lady to saving grace in Jesus Christ. Just led her to the Lord. And this is the great thing. Yeah, go ahead and applaud that. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> what was so wonderful about it, and I love this, this is, there's a little a side story to this, is the young ladies, the girls, uh, Jordan and Sierra, who prayed for Jasmine, is her name, prayed for Jasmine. Uh, they wanted to make sure they got it right. You know, they, didn't, they weren't all together sure they, they did it the right way. And so they looked across the sanctuary, and they saw some of their mentors, And so they walked over and and they said, this is what we did. Did we do it right? Were we okay? And they said, absolutely, you did everything right. And they prayed together right there on the spot. And I want to tell you, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about this succession of leaders. We're talking about this influence that God is wanting to give you and give me to see these kinds of things happen. That's how this takes place. And I don't want you to forget that. I always want you to remember that. I want to tell you once again what our goal is. I've declared it's making disciples. But here at New Life Foursquare Church, I think there is a scripture that typifies this very well. 
And it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. I've read this before, but I'm going to read it again because it's close to my heart. It says, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church of Thessalonica. He's writing them and he's saying this to them. He says, for what is our hope? What is our joy or our crowning for of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and you are our joy. You see, what he's saying is something that all of our hearts should ascend to. All of our hearts should be stirred over. What he's saying is, I'm not really interested in the monetary things. I'm not really interested in the reward of wealth. I'm really not interested in the reward of fame. What I'm interested in is seeing you in heaven before Jesus Christ, confessing on your knees, Jesus is the Lord of all. That's what I'm interested in, and I want to be there with you. Everything else doesn't matter. This is what matters to me the most. And this is the things that we would say, oh, Lord, let this matter to us. And all of our relationships, the people that you're friends with, the people that you love, the people that you care about the most, the people you run into in your work or the places that you go, that you would look at them and say, wow, wouldn't they make a good citizen of heaven? I'd love to see them there. Then start to work on that. Start to pray that that happens because that's really what it's all about. When I read this scripture, I have to ask myself, what makes this goal real? What makes it practical? I, I need to ask myself a few basic questions to make it real for me every single day. And I'm going to give you a question that I ask myself that may be a good question that you ask yourself every day. And here's the question that I ask myself. Do I want someone like me following me today? Do I want someone like me following me today? A little bit of a riddle, but it's very simple to understand. Here it is. Leadership and influence is all about followership. That's what it is. Do I want someone like me following me today? Honestly, there are mornings I wake up, and you know what the answer is? No. There's no way I want someone like me following me today because I'm cranky, I'm bitter, I'm prideful. I have all these things that I have to deal with. I don't want someone like me following me today. Keep that person away. Don't even let that person get near me. And so what it does for me is it brings attitude adjustment. It makes my spirit line up with the things that God says are right and true and righteous in his word. And then I can say, yeah, today I do want someone like me following me today because I'm obedient, because I'm operating in humility. Yes, I want someone following me today because we're getting some things done. Ask that question because it'll change the way you look at your kids. You know, people that don't ask that question, they get distant. They, get, they, they remove themselves. They forget what really this is all about. And I want to stay close to this. I want to ask these real questions that keep me, keep you, I hope, honest every single day. And that's the one question I have to ask. I want to share with you, and you have it in your bulletin, I want to share with you three things to understand about who we are as a church community and the mission that God has given us. Harvest of Blessing Weekend affords me an opportunity just to talk to you a little bit about who we are and what God has called us to. Number one is this. This is what I think we need to understand. Understand the power of your culture. I'm going to say it again. Each one of them I'm going to repeat. Understand the power of your culture. 
You have to understand the power of this culture, of, of this local church. You need to know what this is all about because God has given you a say. He's given you some influence, and there is strength, and there's power collectively in a culture. Now you say, well, Ron, how do you know that? Well, I know it because I read it in the Bible. I read it in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul. That means a great honor or respect came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Do you hear what's being described to you? What's being described to you is a way of life. What's being described to you is a culture. What's being described to you is being the body of Christ. This is what it looks like. And that's what God talks to us about. Wow, this is a commentary not on the things they did, but more on who they were. This was a culture of the early church. That's what this is about. Why is this so important to point out? Why do we need to talk about something like this? Because we can do all these good things. Listen, we can do good things every now and again. I mean, we can be good and we can give something to the poor and we can do this and we can do that and we can do good things. But here it is. To sustain this way of living is remarkable. And that's a culture. A culture is a sustained way of living. And what we're saying is, in this place, we have a model for a sustained way of living that is amazing. It's a group of people that are infused by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us life and gives us identity and defines for us our mission today and tomorrow and forever. And you have that. It exists here. It's in you. It's the culture. Here are a few things that I believe about being the church. And you need to know what I think, what I believe here. And and I'm going to back all this up with Scripture, but you need to know this. First, every church has been given by God a unique culture with a personality and a call. I believe that. I believe that every birth of every birthing of a church, there is a culture, there's a DNA that comes, and there's a personality which begins to develop a particular culture within that church community. Now, how do you know that? Well, this is the way I look at it. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it says, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from that way. That's the way I look at church life, is you train up a church in the way that it should go, and when it is older, it will not depart from that way. It'll stay true to itself. It won't be schizophrenic. It won't wear a ton of different faces. No matter what comes its way, it stays true and on its plumb line because it's the DNA of God that is bringing life. You see, that's why I keep saying to you, keep the main thing the main thing. You have to. Because that's who you are. That's what you've been called to be. I'm going to give you some things I believe. You can write them down. Four more things. I believe this. I believe that the responsibility of a pastor shepherd is to shape that personality and not to change it. I want to tell you why I say that. I see so many. 
I see so many pastors and leaders come into churches and they look and they start to try to change everything. They try to shift everything instead of really praying and fasting and seeking the heart of God as to what is this community of believers been called to do. Does that make sense to you? I want to tell you a story. It was about three or four years before Annette and I actually arrived here at this church that we knew God was stirring our hearts to pastor. We thought about it, we prayed, and we really felt that the Lord wanted us to stay in kind of the Portland area. We, we didn't really have any defined thing except to say, well, let's, let's, let's do this within a 30-mile radius. So it was almost every Saturday, or at least a few Saturdays, we got in the car and we drove around. We went east, we went west, and then one day we came south. We came south and we drove into this community and something struck us and we knew it was the stirring of the Lord. It was the Lord saying, someday you will be here and you need to get ready. You need to prepare. You need to get your heart ready. Do You know, we started praying for you and learning about you about three years before we ever arrived because what God was doing here was the most important thing. It wasn't the pastor. It wasn't the shepherd. It was what God was doing in this community. You know what we did? It was before Google, you know, and, and so what we did is we called Canby City or Chamber of Commerce and asked them to send to us a package. You know, it was, it was work then. It's easy now. You can do, just do that online. But we called and we got the information and found out, we found out some of the spiritual and, and cultural dynamics and the forming of this community. Did you know that? Did you know, do you know why you're named Canby? Has ever, anybody ever thought about that? Your name is after a general who fought in the Civil War and there was assigned to Indian Affairs in Northern California. His name was General Canby. He never, ever came to Canby. In fact, he met his demise in Northern California trying to solve a dispute between the Siskiyou Indians and he was... He died of arrow poisoning. They killed him. They didn't like what he was doing, and they killed him. There's another Canby in Northern California, just like this Canby. That's, how, that's the name of the community. Before that, it was, I think, called Red Bluff or Perry, uh, Prairie Bluff. It was named after the bluffs up, back up by the Molala River. And so we looked in that. We started talking about that, and we kept asking people, do you know things about your community? Because you really do. You need to know the culture that you're going into. We also studied the spiritual formation of this community. Did you know that we have a wonderful spiritual formation here in this community of Canby? That the spiritual founding of this community came through some obedient and wonderful German Mennonites who decided they were going to come here and start church. We had some wonderful people come. German Lutherans came and established a great foundation here. Right after last, uh, last service, one of the girls came to me and said, did you know my great-great-grandfather was one of those German preachers who came in the late 1800s to start, and, and, and to start a, a, a move of God in Canby? That's amazing. So what we wanted to do, what we prayed for is, Lord, when we come in, let us be aware of this. Let us be sensitive to the spiritual formation because you have already breathed life into that place. Just help us, Lord. Give us the wisdom to shape, to train up that church in the way that it should go. And when it is older, it will not, it will not depart from that way. That has been my primary responsibility. It isn't all together tell you what to do. It's to tell you to listen to the Holy Spirit. To understand what the word of God tells you. 
And here's another belief I have. I believe that you never let your demographic or the size of your community dictate your influence in the world. This is the excuse I hear from many spiritual leaders. They'll go into a large community, a metropolitan area, and they'll just say, I can't do anything here. It's so daunting. It's so overwhelming. There's so much resistance. Well, I hear the same thing on the other end. In small towns where a preacher will say, well, we're just small. And we really, we, we're we just going to kind of stay here and, and we're just going to do our little thing here. Baloney, that's a bunch of hogwash. You never, ever let the size of your community dictate your influence in this world because you have something to say. You have something to offer. And that's one of the first things we wanted to do when we came here is to say, hey, the Bible says go and make disciples everywhere regardless how big or small you are. You go and do it. And today we've touched the four corners of the earth. We have not let the size of our church, because we started really small, but we have not let that dictate to us how we're going to influence this world. Listen, we need to keep that up. And you can take that personally too. Listen, the odds sometimes seem to be against you, but never, ever let that dictate to you what God is wanting you to do. Go and make disciples everywhere. And we're committed to that. We believe in that. You know, about 10 or 12 years ago, we started this great relationship with Foursquare Germany. Most of our conversations and and interfacing is what we call it, is with the leaders of Foursquare Germany. And it was maybe two or three years into this relationship. I probably should have asked the question a little sooner. But I said, well, why are you interested in us? I mean, what's the the attraction here? Why why do you want to hang out with us and be connected with us? And here was their answer. They said this, well, we've looked around for a model. We've looked in a lot of different places for a model in America. We, we really have because there are good things that are happening and there are things that we want to reproduce over here. But we couldn't find any. And the reason we couldn't is because Germany is a country of about the size of Oregon, Washington, part of Idaho, filled with 85 million people. And those 85 million people all live in small villages. We needed a church we could model that was in a village. And he said, we needed a church we could model, and that village would not let the, let the, let, let the size dictate their influence in the world. You have not let your village size dictate your influence in the world. And he says, that's what we want to do. And do you know they're doing that now? Do you know they know about you over there? You're widely spread over there. People know you've got some PR going over there. And they're saying that's the place. They point people here. And they say, if you want to know how to touch a village in Germany, then go to Canby and they'll help you do that. By the way, for about eight to 10 months, no. In fact, about a year and a half, starting in March, you will see... uh, German pastors in this church. You're going to see them in church services. They're going to be here. Their kids are going to be here. Their families are going to be here. They're going to go to our schools. What you need to understand is there's, a, there's an exchange happening. And, and listen, it, it is because we have refused to say we're going to stay where we are. We're just going to let the size of our community dictate our, our influence, our outreach. We will not do that. Can you say amen to that? You never, ever let that happen. Here's something else I believe. I believe you must get the most from what you've been given, and God will give you what you want. God will give you the desires of your heart. Why is this so important? Because there are a lot of big wants and desires out there, but there isn't a lot of stewardship of what we have. Listen, God has given you a lot of different things that you 
And he's asking you to be a good steward of. It's the principle, be faithful with this little and I'll give you much. You'll never get the much that you want or desire unless you're faithful with the little. Most of the time people say, well, that has to do with my money. That's partly true, but that's not altogether true. There's another part of it. Are you faithful and a good steward with the relationships that God has given you? With the people he's given you to influence? Are you a good steward of your family, your, your friends, the, the people in your church community? Do you speak well of them? Do you pray for them? Are you a good steward of those kinds of relationships? Because I think that's what the Bible's talking about. You can want all you want, but until you say, Lord, I'm going to take this and cherish this, and I'm going to nurture this, and I'm going to develop this, and when I do, I just expect you to do the rest. But God, I'm going to be faithful with what I see right before me. We have this mentality of looking beyond, looking to the horizons, and it's great to have a vision, but there are things and people and resources right under your nose that are you're, you're letting slip by every day. And you have to say, Lord, help me see, help me hear, help me have your eyes and ears because I want to be a good steward of this. And I'll tell you, when you are, the Lord will pour out his blessing upon your life like you could never imagine. Begin this way. Be a good steward of those things he's already given you. Your house, your car, your friends, all of it. Be a good steward of those things. And what God will do is he'll continue to bless you because he wants to. And here's something else I believe. I believe that most pastors overestimate their influence. Imagine that. They're great at this. That most pastors overestimate their influence while underestimating the influence of their church culture. Listen, you have You have much power and influence being given to you by the infusion of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's not one person. It's not the pastor that makes this happen. It may be the face or the the voice or something like that, but it's the power of the culture that makes a difference. And we have to recognize that because you've been given a gift. Now you can use it for the better of the kingdom of God, to bring people in to 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. Here is my joy. Here is my crown. Here is my reward. Because you've been given that kind of influence on this planet. Listen, people don't know who I am, honestly. They know who you are. I can go to places. I'll be on the ball field. I wear my hat and my shoes, you know, my tennis shoes. And I'll be out there and I'll hear these discussions. I heard one last week about our church. Did you, have you guys looked at New Life Foursquare? Yeah, it's a great church. I hear it's a great church. And they look at me, what about you? And I oh yeah, it's a great church. I love it. <laughs> Do you go there? Yeah, I go there. I like going there. <laughs> like showing up. Like being there with people. I do. That's what I say. I try not to let the cat out of the bag. I mean, I've done it. I haven't a few times and people walk in, they'll sit right here, about, you know, Don, where you are, and they'll go, They'll look up and they'll go, wait a minute, he's the preacher. (laughs) Of course he likes the church. No, I like it even if I'm not. I'll tell you what, you have a great influence. About six or eight years ago, the president of our denomination wanted to come here to Canby. One of the first times that had ever happened. And so he's trying to find his way from the hotel in Wilsonville over here. You know, Canby's not easy to find. You know, you got to be pretty intentional or you're going to get lost on all those. There are 10 ways to get into this community. I always am thinking, which way am I going to tell them, man? I don't want to confuse them. My brother's been around 25 years. He calls me the other day. Ron, I'm out here. How do I get to Camby? I said, bro, you only live in Gresham. I mean, it's not that hard. He goes, I can't find it. I'm lost. 
you know, to get here, you got to be pretty intentional, you know? And so he's lost. Our president's lost. I gave him directions, but he's lost. And he's trying to find his way. And he sees a couple people walking out for a morning walk. And he pulls over. He rolls down the window. He goes, hey, do you know where Territorial Road is? And they said, no, no, we don't. We've been living here for a while. But wow, it doesn't really ring a bell. And he said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Do you know where New Life Foursquare Church is? And they, yeah, we know where that's at. We'll tell you. See, they, they, know, they know where you're at. They know that you have a measure of influence. And what I'm saying to you is that's the power of culture. That's the power that you have. And here's the second thing. The second thing to understand is to understand the influence of your presence. The influence of your presence. You know, people always ask, what is the key to being an effective influence? Pastor Ron, what is the key to being an effective influence? And I'll, I'll have that question here and that question asked to me out there when I go to different places. And you know what I say? Here's the key to being an effective influence, and it's this. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Show up in your family. Show up in your marriage. Show up in your church. Show up in your community. Keep showing up. You want a fundamental thing, a fundamental reason to be effective. It is to keep showing up. Folks, keep showing up. Man, you may be tired. You may be hurting, but keep showing up. And I have never said this publicly, and I'm going to say it now, and only a few people know this. I've showed up here with a 103-degree fever and the flu, and I don't want to give it to you, so I slide out that way, but I want to keep showing up. And it isn't because someone else can't do this. You know they can, but it's because there's a commitment here to show up. And when I show up, I know something's going to happen. Influence will take place. Because if you do what God tells you to do, and you go where he tells you to go, even if it doesn't make sense to you, a miracle happens. And I'm wondering how many times we haven't gone to those little places that God has asked us to go just a block away or two blocks away and you, and, and you, you just missed a miracle. God says, well, you just missed a miracle because I was going to change a life that day. I was going to use you to do it. Show up. Show up in the presence of God. Show up in the presence of others. That's what God is asking you to do. And the Bible tells us that presence is critical when it comes to your influence. Let me read it to you. Colossians 1, 27 and 28. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles. Which is this? Which is Christ in you is the hope of glory the presence of God in you is the hope of presence. And that presence has influence. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. <laughs> this is the great thing. You are the main ingredient in this thing called redemption. When God was putting all this together, he had a formula, and the main part of this formula was Christ in you is the hope of his presence, and your presence makes a difference. I love um, chocolate chip cookies, you know. And, and Annette makes the best chocolate chip cookies for me. I mean, she's not only good looking, she's a gourmet cook. But there's a, there's a batch she makes, and she doesn't let the kids have it. You know, this is your dad's, this is your dad's batch. And the reason why is because most people, and probably most of you out here, like your chocolate chip cookies kind of soft and doughy. I like them the other way. 
I like them almost. And she knows how to get right there without burning them. But they're really close. And those are my cookies. And I let everybody know they're my cookies. So if you want to make me chocolate chip cookies, that's what I like. (laughs) But she makes these great chocolate chip cookies, and I love her chocolate chip cookies. But there's there's something that you need to know. Without the chocolate chips, they're not chocolate chip cookies. And without you, it isn't the kingdom of God. It isn't the body of Christ. God wants to make some amazing cookies, and he wants to use you, and he wants to pour you out and stir you up and cook you and try, make, I mean, just test you and make you a little crisp. And he wants to say, hey, eat this. This is good. He wants the world to know. And he said it in a lot of different ways. He said, you're the light. He said, you're the salt. And today you're hearing me say, and you are the chocolate chips. You are the chocolate chips in this wonderful cookie. And God said, I want to feed the world, and I want to use you to do it. What do you need to do? Show up. Did you know we have the longest standing Christian 12-step program here at this church in the state of Oregon? What I love is I love to see people getting free, and, and because it's, it, it's confidential, I don't know who goes unless they tell me, and, and a lot of them do. They'll, they'll come to me and say, man, I'm in this, and I'm getting free, and God set me free, and they show me coins, and they say, I, I've been sober for three days, and we applaud. I've been sober for three months, and we applaud. I've been sober for three years or 30 years, and we applaud. But the most common asked question is this, Pastor Ron, what do I do? And I say to them, that's what got you in trouble. You doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Let me tell you what you can do. Show up. If you show up on Monday nights, if you show up Wednesdays, if you show up in the church family. And you know the people that I've seen the most successful are the people who have showed up. They're just showing up. And I'm going to tell you something. You make a difference when you show up. When you bring that presence of God to wherever it is, you are amazing because God uses you. It was a couple, just not a couple moments or a couple months after I arrived, a a guy came up to me, attended this church, and he said, hey, I want to have lunch with you. I thought, oh, boy. I said, well, what do you want to talk about? He goes, I want to talk about how I hate pastors. I said, oh, this will be fun. (laughs) This will be a lunch I've been looking forward to. Put it on my calendar. So we had lunch. I said, why do you hate pastors so much? He says, they keep leaving. I get attached and they leave. And I hate it. I don't want to see that. I said, really? I said, I can understand that because you're right. They do. And I looked at him and I said, I won't leave. In fact, I'm going to outlast you. Game on, baby. (laughs) He doesn't attend here anymore. Don't know where he went. But I kept my end of the deal. I'm going to keep showing up. I want to show up. Listen, your presence makes all the difference in the world. Listen, I tell you this. You know, again, I may not be the most articulate, the most intelligent, but I will show up. I will show up. Can I give you a word? This is a prophetic word. Write this down. Be strategically bold in Jesus' name. Be strategically bold in Jesus' name.
with your presence. Pray about, think about, and plan how you can influence the others in your life with your influence. Please do not take it lightly. You've been given an opportunity. Use your influence well. Show up. Your presence makes all the difference in the world. And I'm going to give you a story that tells you how I know that. Over the last several decades, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with grown men. Grown men still in pain. Who lament their father's absence at their little league games. Now, now you can say this, well, because logically you can say, well, get over it. I mean, 30 years ago or 40 years ago. You don't get over a hole in your heart. You don't get over a hole in your heart. That to me shows me and tells me the value of presence. Dads, grandpas, just keep showing up. Just show up. Makes all the difference in the world. Listen, my kids have come and gone from the Canby school systems. They're not in baseball anymore. They're not in football anymore. And I love those days where I could show up and coach. You know what I do still? I still find out what their schedules are. There's kids and family. You're in here. Some of you are no. You're here right here. Where, where are they playing? When are they playing? And show up to a football game or a baseball game and to watch them go, whoa. You can make a difference just by showing up. You can fill the void. You can, you can heal the heart by showing up. Your presence, your presence has influence in the world that we live in. Let me say this. How did God communicate that he was serious about a relationship with you? How did he do that? He showed up. He came here. He found you. He says, I came to seek and save those that were lost. And he didn't stay in heaven to do it. He didn't do it remotely. He came here. John 1.14 says this, And the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, his presence. The glory, the presence of the one and only begotten Father, full of grace, full of truth. Listen, the way God made a difference in our lives is he showed up here on planet Earth, and I'm so glad he did. I'm glad he showed up in my life. I'm glad he's showing up in your life. Now do the same. Show up, and you're going to make a difference. And I'm going to finish with this last point. Understand the value of meaningful symbols. Now you're saying, that's an odd one, Pastor. That's a kind of a different one. I've never heard that before. You probably haven't, but I want you to bear with me a little bit because this right here makes a lot of difference. In so many ways, we have lost the value of meaningful symbols, and my heart breaks here. We have relegated things of great importance, things that have great symbolic meaning, and we've pushed them off to the side, and we've said somehow in our collective psyche in church, this doesn't really matter anymore when it does matter. 
The communion table matters. The Lord's table matters. It is a symbol of us remembering him. We take the elements that represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why we've taken time to do it differently. I was convicted about eight years ago. And the Lord says, you don't take this seriously. This is a meaningful symbol that people need to see and recognize when they come to the Lord's table. Because they're not only remembering me, they're seeing each other. And I, I know how people do it, and I'm not, I'm not getting on anybody, but they'll just pass a plate. You don't barely even look out of the side of your eyes to see who's sitting next to you. And the Lord says, I can't do it that way. And so we have the Lord's table, a meaningful symbol for a world and a generation that has lost the value of symbols in their life because everything has gone cyber. There's nothing out there that you can touch or see anymore. They don't see the cross. They don't see the Lord's table. I was convicted about water baptism because I did the same thing. We relegated it off-site at some obscure time, like 12 midnight. Come and jump in the water. How you like that? And the Lord said, don't do that. People need meaningful symbols that they can hold on to, that they can feel, that they can touch. And so not only have we moved water baptism into our main services, our water baptism takes place in all four of our Easter services because it's something you need to see and you need to feel and you need to touch because you've lost it. Our society has lost it. Annette and I had this conversation, and I want to warn you right up front, we're not sociologists. But we are professional observers. That is our job. And we've noticed something. And what we've noticed has, has caught our attention because it's connected to something else. What we have noticed is this. We've noticed a young generation getting more and more tattooed. Now, please hear me. This is not a sermon on whether you should or shouldn't get tattooed. That's not where I'm going here. The point I'm making is this, is there is a younger generation that has no place to touch, feel, or see meaningful symbols, so they've put them on their bodies. And if you look at most of those tattooing those symbols, you're going to see honor to a past loved one. You're usually going to see something that's very personal, something that is meaningful. What's going on there? We need meaningful symbols today in our, in our families, in our churches, everywhere we go. We need to have meaningful symbols Listen, God knows that we need these symbols as a reminder of our covenant with him and a covenant with each other. Well, Ron, how do you know that? I know it because the Bible says it in Joshua 4, 20 through 24. It says, and those 12 stones, those meaningful symbols, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in a time to come, saying, what are these stones? What are these meaningful symbols? 
And then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until it had been crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever and ever and ever. I think it's very important that we not only create corporate symbols, but we have personal symbols as well. I have one right here. This has a lot of meaning to me. It's a symbol. And there is not a day that goes by that I don't go like this and go, well, I have a covenant with her. I like her. Reminds me. It's a meaningful symbol in my life. And all I'm asking for you to do is this. If you don't already have them, create meaningful symbols in your life and your family. You can do that in the holiday seasons. You can do that throughout the year. You can do things that are, are, are symbolic of some great truth. And in this case, it was to show the people of Israel and everyone to follow, including us today, that we have a God who has a mighty hand and he can roll back anything, water, stones, mountains. He can move it all for you. He's made a way. He has a passage for you. You need to be reminded of that. I have symbols like this. There's a symbol up here on the platform many of you don't even know. It's a symbol that I think about every time I step up here. And it's here for a reason. You know what the symbol is? You're all looking up here going, where's Waldo? I'm going to tell you what it is. This is it. It's a music stand. Because when I first came, there was a big pulpit, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it was a big pulpit. One problem is I couldn't see over the top. That was really hard. <laughs> but the other problem I had with it is it got in the way of us. I knew there would be too many people looking at that going, well, I don't think I can do that. Ooh, boy, that's important. And, and it is. But it's not the thing. And you know the other reason I have a music stand instead of a pulpit? Is because I know this about God. He can take me out anytime he wants to. Try that with a pulpit. This is temporary, folks. This isn't going to last forever. And God's saying, would you take time right now and would you make things count? There are meaningful symbols. I tell you what, I want this to be a reminder to all those future preachers out there that you can do it. You don't need a pulpit. You can go buy a music stand anywhere you want. And you can take this music stand into your bedroom and you can preach your heart out. Try that with a pulpit. Mom's not going to let you come into your bedroom with a pulpit. But she will with a music stand. Future pre preachers and pastors, get a music stand. 
That's what I want to tell people. I want to tell all of you that. You can do this. You can do this. And that's why I have this. It's to remind me that God can call anybody, anybody. The calling means you just need to say yes. The work is shepherd well, influence well. And I'm going to tell you one last story and I finish. Some of you have heard this story before, but I need to tell it because it really is part of our journey. When I arrived here at New Life Force Court Church, it was great. It was wonderful. We were celebrating. We were excited because we prayed for four or five years before we came. And we finally arrived. Went up and they showed me the office, a great office. Ryan Brown has it now. He stole it from me, but he has it. It's a great office. And I go up and visit that office every now and again just to remember when I got there, I walked in, and not only was the office beautiful, they had this beautiful handmade cherry desk sitting right there, and I went, oh, I've arrived. I've got an office, a church, and a great desk. So I sat behind that desk, and I put my feet up, and I thought, this is a great cherry desk. I like this desk. It was a good desk. Went to church that weekend, and after the service, a few of the guys, the council members said, hey, we need to talk to you, Pastor. And I was thinking to myself, man, you've only heard me speak three times. Give me a chance. <laughs> and they said, we want, we want to talk to you about your desk. And I said, well, what about it? I like that desk. It's a good desk, handmade, cherry desk. They said, well, it's not yours. <laughs> I said, it's not mine? They said, no, the guy who was here before you, it's his desk, and he wants it back. And I said, Man. I thought that was my desk. They said, no, it's not your desk. It's the other guy's desk, and we made it for him. But here, don't worry. The guy who made this desk goes to church here, and he's going to make you a desk just like this, a, a beautiful cherry desk. And I said, well, that's good, because I like this desk. I want a desk just like this. This is a beautiful desk. They said, okay. When the next day I came in, they didn't waste any time. Man, I came in, and my office was empty. The desk was gone. And in its place was this temporary Ugly desk. The ugliest desk you've ever seen in your life. You open it and you get splinters because it just is coming off in your hands. You look at it, it's all crooked. It makes you get seasick because it looks like it's going one way all the time. And I can't figure that desk out. And I look at the top of that desk and it was owned by loggers because they jumped on it with beer. I mean, they're drinking beer and walking on the desk. And then there's cigar stains and coffee stains all over the desk. It is the ugliest desk you've ever seen. And I looked at that desk, and I said, that is one ugly desk. I want a cherry desk. Went and sat behind that desk. I was lamenting. I was complaining to God. I said, God, this is a broken desk. This desk doesn't even work. It's broken. And right when I said that, the still, small voice of the Lord entered the room and said this, you are broken too. And I'm going to send a lot of broken people. Get your act together or move on. Oh, I tell you what, I never felt the presence of the Lord like I felt it then. I crawled under the desk and I stayed there, no kidding, about an hour. And I cried and I repented and I cried and I repented. And I said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. That temporary desk, it's in my office right now. Because I called the, the guys and I said, hey, you know that beautiful, beautiful cherry desk? Yeah. I said, I can't have it. I need a broken one.
because if I, if I don't have that, I'm going to forget. If I don't have that meaningful symbol, I, I'm going to forget. And I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget I'm broken and Jesus can fix me. I don't want to forget that you're broken and Jesus can fix you. And if anyone here thinks they're absolutely perfectly whole, you need to think again. We're all broken. We all have cracks. We all have scars. And that's what makes you you in your relationship with God. Meaningful symbols. You need to find some. Because they help you find a way. Would you bow your head with me? Would you do that? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. We're going to conclude with a time of prayer and then a harvest of blessing um, offering. And I'll explain that when I'm done praying. But let's do this. Let me pray. Father, we just pray in Jesus' name that you would come and you would touch us and you would heal us. Father, we just thank you for that. We just ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.